there's a guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Oi, mate, there's you. I believe it is. Wicked. You coaching football. You are a legend for doing something so stupid. I mean, it's mental. They're gonna murder you. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I am so excited to welcome to, to welcome back. I, I'm leaving a welcome back. I'm going to let them step in and introduce themselves. I'm Laura Sampson and I am happy to be back on the show. I cannot promise that my film or my TV knowledge have got any higher or any higher grade, but I am delighted to be here in any case. Hi, I'm producer Dave. Welcome back, Laura. Um, you're still gonna know more about film and TV than me, so uh, let's, let's go nonsense. I'm just, I'm just so excited that there's the three of us back again. Yay! It's like there have been tons of people who have been listening and have been like, when is Laura Sampson going to come back in? When is Laura Sampson? What have you done to Laura? Where have you kept her? Why are you not letting her back on the show? It's like, hold on. Um, it's not my choice for her not to be on the show. She's refusing to come on the show. So now Laura Sampson is going to, we've dragged her in and we're going to get her to explain to you, explain yourself, <laughs> Laura Sampson, in a few minutes, why it is she's been avoiding us and not wanting to come on the show for so long and how we're going to rectify it. Oh dear, I'm in trouble now. Yes, you are. My wrists, my wrists have been slapped and I hope that you'll find my excuses or reasons is the better way to put it, isn't it? Yes. Satisfactory. That, that, and that's what we're going to do as the film and TV news. The fact, Forget the fact that Emmys were on last week. Um, we, 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 we might briefly touch upon the Emmys and who won and who didn't and whatnot. Uh, we'll do that in film and TV news. But the film and TV news for this week is going to be the return of Laura Sampson to shoot the breeze on Resonance FM. That's what we're going to be focusing on. That's what everybody's listening to, wanting to find out where she's been, what she's been doing, and so on and so forth. So we're going to do that in a few minutes. And then uh, just after that, we'll jump into uh, our spotlight section where we'll be talking to the uh, team behind We Are Bostress, Helena Collins, O'Connor and Ella Faye Donnelly, who are the writer, producer, director, actress of the one woman show, Auto Engrain, which is on this weekend, Sunday and Monday at the 26th and the 27th at 9 p.m. at the Bread and Roses Theatre, Clapham Fringe Festival. 
at 9 p.m. So we'll talk to them. We'll do that spotlight later on. But uh, and then after that, we're going to now that we have Laura Sampson back on the show with us, we're going to get her talking about some of the the fine TV and films that she's been watching in the last 12 months where we've not had her on the show and what she's been doing with her life and so on and so forth. We'll talk about that first and then we'll do that bit at the end. But before we do all that stuff, let's jump into film and TV news. So this uh, last week was the 73rd Primetime Emmy Awards. If you don't know what they are, they are basically one in the plethora of uh, of film and TV awards that get given to uh, popular shows and people who get uh, respected by various critics and artists and whatnot. And this year, before I jump into who won and who didn't, uh, producer Dave, Laura Sampson, did you get to hear anything about the Emmy Awards? I can't say I am the most awake to TV current affairs at all times kind of a person, but it is true that the Emmys came upon me like a morning after, you know, I woke up and there were the speeches, there were the dresses and no one had told me that they were happening. I guess loads of other people knew because there were all kinds of fashion features in all of the fashion magazines and all kinds of clips all over social media. But yeah, I kind of thought they'd already happened somehow. I think that's because the Golden Globes, the Golden Globes happened a few months ago. So it's like, you know, and then I guess, yeah. So that's kind of what it's, it's basically starting again. And it's, it's a sort of a mixture of TV and there was BAFTA TV awards recently. So unless you're not really, I guess it is September. We are the 2021 has already slipped right by us in no time. We'll blink and it'll be 2022 and then we'll be going through February. It'll be uh, again, the Golden Globes and then the Oscars. So uh, I guess that's basically where we are at at the moment. Uh, Producer Dave, were you prepared for the Emmys this year or were you, uh, did you see any of the uh, the nominations and think, yes, you think this one is going to get nominated, this person is going to get nominated, etc.? cetera? Um, for me, the Emmys were kind of low key this year. I mean, I saw it mentioned once or twice, but it just didn't twig that it hadn't happened or it was going to happen. And I think um, with Emma Raducanu uh, winning that, Grand Slam in the States, it just like overshadowed it and they didn't even mention it until it was just about to happen. All right. So for those people who didn't really care much about Emmys, I'm just going to rattle through some of the winners and and and, and nominations. We're, again, we're not going to focus on, uh, or we're not going to do all of them. We'll just focus on some of the main uh, winners. So for example, uh, the Outstanding Drama Series, The Crown took it. And I, I kind of have a feeling the crown pretty much takes it every year outstanding limited series the queen's gambit i've started watching it i hear it's amazing i do want to finish it but i'll come back around to it ted lasso one outstanding comedy series i'll come back to that one in a second um then we jump to lead actor in a drama series and josh o'connor won for the crown uh lead actress olivia coleman won again for the crown Uh, best actor in a drama series Tobias Menzies in The Crown, <laughs> Best Supporting Actor in, Actress in a Drama Series, Gillian Anderson in The Crown. So it's kind of like it was literally The Crown that swept everything 
um, all the main titles, right? I mean, yeah, you had other people like Kate Winslet winning for Mayor of Easttown for Actress in Limited Series, Best Supporting Actor, Evan Peters for Mayor of East East Easttown, Supporting Actress in Limited Series, Julianne Nicholson, Mayor of Easttown. And this is what's happening again, where the whole conversation about the, the color of, of the winners in all of these awards, award shows, how it is that it just seems to be completely white. And let's stumble blindly into that argument, Dan, shall we? And I know I haven't prepared any of you for this conversation. Laura, what is your, having heard me just rattle through, in fact, scrolling through the list, I basically land on the first person of color um, on uh, writing for limited series movie or drama, Michaela Cole, I May Destroy You. So I've scrolled through about six, seven, ten different major categories. And out of all of them that I can see, the only one that I can see that is uh, that it has a person of color is writing in a limited series, which is Michaela Cole, I May Destroy You. So Laura, I want to throw this question to you. What are your thoughts on the fact that I've just gone through 10, 15 different major categories in the Emmys and only one person of color seems to have picked up anything. What, what are your thoughts? Well, it says to me that if you're a person of color, you have to write something as shocking and difficult to watch and utter genius to get noticed by the awards people. There are so many other things on the list where I feel if a person of color had been the mastermind of them, they might not have got a look in. That is completely, I guess, unfounded by research. It's just a kind of hunch to me. I'm like, I'm scrolling through and I'm like, okay, fine. Michaela Coel's there because she could not be there. And there's no one of colour in the crown, which seems to have cleaned up pretty much everything because we're still in 1960s. Britain. Well, no, no, where... we've, we've, no. we've come up to we've come to the oh, sorry, eighties. We've come we've to come, the eighties now. We've come up so to I the eighties, guess... but but you yeah. know maybe Diane Abbott was around, but you know there weren't. There's still in public life people who were around the royal family. There just weren't that many people, and the crowns decided to not do you know diverse casting. I guess I, uh, I, I, I understand. I understand your point, and I will come to that in one second. And let me just do one little correction uh, because I I scanned past outstanding variety special pre-recorded, and Hamilton won in in that category, which is um, oh I, I, his name escapes me um, um, Miranda um, Lin Manuel Miranda Lin Manuel Miranda yes, yeah, so, and obviously it's a cast of of uh, people it's people of color who are portraying the founding fathers in America. So, uh, producer Dave, what are your thoughts on the uh, the whiteness of the winners in the Emmys? Well, it doesn't surprise me that the Crown won. They all love royalty over there, and they all love to have a good old scandal fest as well. And in the 80s, it was a scandal fest. I have to say, I'm, I've never watched an episode of the Crown, so I don't know what it's about. Well, I do know what it's about, but I'm just not that interested, to be quite honest. With regards to whiteness, well, what can I say? Um, Emmys, you've got to try harder to get some more representation going. Uh, like any political topic, and we try not to be political, I say we try not to be political, everything is political. But with with anything, I like to try and see 
the I try to see both sides to try and see where the the people who I feel have put the foot wrong, where they were coming from in order to be able to in, in order to see from their perspective and understand exactly what has happened. Now, looking from the perspective of the Emmys, the judges from the Emmys could potentially say, well, the reason why they haven't nominated more uh, people of color or more shows with people of color is because those shows aren't there for them to nominate. And as such, you know, give the content, the whole idea of, well, if you produce the content, then of course we can judge it and we can give it the awards that it deserves. You see, Michaela Cole, she won, she wrote a good script. And Laura, you even started off by saying for a person of color to make it successfully like that, they need to be out there. And that's the excuse to people from places like the Golden Globes and the Oscars and, and the Emmys. That's what they're saying. They're saying, you know, if, if you produce something worth us voting for, we will vote for it. Now, the answer I give back to people who give that sort of argument is what you're saying there is you're passing the buck onto the people that you're not nominating and you're not, and you're not voting for. You're saying that the reason why you're not voting for people of color is because the people of color are not producing things for you to vote on. The problem is there are tons of artists, writers, directors, producers of color who are trying to produce that kind of stuff. But the gatekeepers, the people who will air that, the studio heads, the, the, in the broadcasters, they are the ones who are not picking what needs to be aired or when they pick and they program it in a way where it doesn't get the most... Uh, the most eyeballs. They don't promote it as much in, in that regard. So put it this way, you, 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 even the ones that they do pick and they do air, um, they don't give it as much promotion as things like The Crown and um, Mayor of Easttown and so on. They don't plaster posters all over the place. They don't put recurring ads on almost every channel telling you to go and watch, which means people don't go and watch it. And then they then, is that whole vicious circle? They turn around and say, well, nobody's watching it. So that means that nobody's interested in the show. And then they use that as an excuse to not then commission another. They say, well, that's because people are not interested in stories about people of color. No, that's not the case. It's the fact that if you were to give the same sort of uh, emphasis, the same sort of um, of, of backing and support to artists like that, content like that, content that isn't just primarily white, the white experience, then obviously other people would want to watch it. More people would be interested in those kind of shows. Look at Sorry. something like the, the Wire, for example. I just, I just let me just finish this one point. Mm. Look at something like The Wire. The Wire is a is a TV show, five season t- it's five season TV show that is considered by a lot of people as being part of the best, one of the best TV shows ever made. If you look at top 10 greatest TV shows of all time, it more, I'll say eight out of 10 times, The Wire pops up in top 10. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be generous and say top 10. If I'll be even more sp- specific and say top five. The Wire is always there. And the, and, the, and the cast of The Wire, predominantly black people, predominantly black men and women, uh, in in that role, given terrific performances. Now, that the fact that loads of people gravitated to watch that show is not because people didn't want to look, look at stories told by people of color. They enjoyed the stories. They wanted to watch those stories. They loved the characters. They loved watching them perform. And that's you know the problem with the reason why is because that was a great story. It got given the uh, promotion and the backing that 
normal that other shows would get, which is why people could find it, people could watch it, and so on. But then that's an that's an anomaly because other shows don't get that kind of backing. Um, I may destroy you. It is only really doing the rounds because of the backlash from people who watched that show, loved the show, but then it didn't get commissioned for a second season. It didn't get commissioned for a second season because I guess the Golden Globes or there was a season, there was a, an award season beforehand. They just completely ignored it. And I think the BBC just went, oh, well, I guess that means nobody really wants the show. And then they didn't green light it for a second season. And that's, that, in my opinion, in my ignorant opinion, and I'll say it, state that fact, it's an ignorant opinion. That's basically what the situation is. The problem as to why um, people of color, men and women of color, are not getting that kind of recognition at these award shows is, it stems back to the point that the gatekeepers are stopping those shows from being produced. When those shows stop being produced, they're not available for people in the Emmys to be able to um, to vote for those shows. It the, the the judges of the Emmys are not blameless either because the fact that they keep voting for those kind of shows is sort of a validation of the fact that those other shows are not being produced. If the judges of the Emmys were to then turn around and say, look, we're not going to host the Emmys. We're not going to do the Emmys because it's just people of color. You know, it's just people, you know, just white shows. You know, we're only going to vote for more and so on and so forth. Then that would then kick up that fuss. Anyway, right. I've rambled for a little bit too much. Producer Dave, sorry, I cut, I cut you off before. Uh, you were about to say something, please. No, I was going to ask, isn't The Crown a Netflix show? It is a Netflix show, yes. And I find Netflix one of the most diverse platforms going, to be quite honest. Um, so for me, um, some of that argument doesn't <clears throat> hold up because they don't advertise it on any other platform except on Netflix. I mean, you, you don't see Netflix advertising a whole heap of its shows on, t on TV. They've I now disagree. started, they've now started sex okay. education and stuff like that. I'm now starting to see quite a lot of adverts, but The Crown, I never did see that many Ooh, adverts for it. I disagree with that. I, I disagree well, with it. I, so, you, so, yeah. let, me, let me, let me, let me counter to your point. So. On, I, I will agree to your point about Netflix being as diverse as it is. And I, I totally agree with that 100%. Netflix tend to, they're hungry for content, so they look for content. Plus, they're a global company. So they get content, they have Netflix Africa, Netflix Europe, and so on and so forth. So they are hungry for content. With regards to the promotion, however, The Crown was heavily promoted by Netflix. And one of the reasons why it was heavily promoted by Netflix is because Netflix are trying to step up their game. They're trying to step into the ring with the big, with the big boys, right? The big studios. Because there was the whole thing about how Netflix movies were not, you know, there was a whole argument a couple of years ago, a few years ago, about Netflix movies being in contention for awards. Fast forward a couple of years after that, and you have Netflix films winning major Oscars. That's because they campaigned heavily. And what they campaigned with, they campaigned with the shows that they know will get the support immediately, like The Crown. You are right. America loves anything that's about the royals. And so that in itself, they were campaigning heavily. They were, I know you said you didn't see much of advertising on, on television. Netflix advertising, I watch a lot of TV. I see nonstop adverts. I've seen more adverts for The Crown on TV 
then I'm same as you yourself. I haven't seen an episode of The Crown. I hear it's brilliant. I see all the actors that cycle through and I think they're wonderful actors and other stuff. I've never seen it, but I've seen, a, I know more about, and it's, not just, and it's not just about direct advertising as well. You watch Gogglebox, right? On Gogglebox, they show you bits of various shows and they put a lot of Netflix shows, especially things like The Crown, which in itself is subtle advertising. So while they're advertising The Crown on Channel 4, they're not doing that for any other um, shows. They're not doing that for any other uh, shows with people of color in that regards. Anyway, that's me going on the rant. I'm, if I had a longer period of time, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with somebody and argue with them about this point. But that's my point anyway. It's about the fact that that kind of backing is not given to those kind of shows. Sorry, Laura. What you need to do to discuss this is get an expert, a writer and an agent, maybe. Agreed. Or a, pro, a programmer. I will get on that. Producer Dave and I will, will get on that. We'll try and get programmers, writers, agents, actors, and we'll get them on the show. We'll have the entire show will just be, uh, that episode will just be about us arguing this particular point. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm producer Dave. I'm loving the fact that Laura Sampson's popping back in. That's great. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, Spotlight now. So if you want to hear what Laura Sampson's been doing, um, in the last 12 months, we're going to jump into that straight after Spotlight. Here is Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are joined by the director, the producer, the writer, the actress of the theater show, Otto Engrain, if I haven't, if I haven't made a mistake uh, pronouncing that, Otto Engrain. Please tell us your names. Let's start with, first of all, the writer, producer, actress, and then we'll move to the director. So go for it. Hi, uh, my name is Helena Collins O'Connor. And as we said, I am producing the show, but I've also written it and uh, performing it. Amazing, yeah. Um, and I'm Ella Faye Donnelly, and I'm the director of the piece. Now, this is okay. So, uh, we I, I heard recently about the project Auto Ingrained. Um, first of all, let's let's talk about. Uh, I'll, I'll throw to the writer and the actress, Helena. Please tell us what is Auto Ingrained all about? Gosh, um, <laughs> it's so. In 2018, 19, I had a difficult relationship, like many people get. And I used writing as a skill to kind of, as a therapy technique, and it became this show. So essentially in terms of the show, it's about a character called Kate, and she's going into her third stint of therapy. And she's very much taking an unapologetic approach to it, very blunt. And she wants to talk about everything from her dating experiences to her previous relationship to red flags and toxicity. And it kind of covers all of those subjects in a mixture of drama, but also senses of comedy with factual fiction intertwined. So am I right in understanding that it's a one woman show? Yes. Okay, and uh, from the press release that, you, that uh, came out that we read, 
uh, it said, and I may have uh, misread this, that as you said, you just said you're going to, your character is going into her third stint at therapy with 40 therapists? So essentially, um, the audience at the moment, so we're performing at Cup and Fringe um, on Sunday and Monday this coming week, and we have 40 members of the audience. So we would like to include the audience in that. So they become the therapists from that point of view. Okay, so I thought that was what you were you were aiming for. And I'm <laughs> just wondering, because here's the problem with someone like me being in the audience, when you give me the opportunity to ask questions, I will start asking questions. And since this is going to be a therapy session for yourself, are you structured, or not for yourself, but for the character, uh, is it going to be structured in a way where the therapists, you know, or otherwise the audience, will they be able to ask questions and probe as this is part of a therapy session? Um, not as such. So the idea is it kind of involves them, but we're taking a bit of a Brechtian approach with the show. So we're going to be ad-libbing and talking to the audience. But it's quite an open. Yeah, it's, it's very much including the audience in, in the conversation, speaking directly to them, rhetorical questions, putting people on the spot in the yeah. moment um, as part of the, the drama and the comedy as well. You know, it's quite a heavy subject. So we want to uh, to bring it to life a bit more and as well, just make everybody aware, very aware that we're in a theatre and we're watching a show in a yeah. theatre. Um, so we're playing with props a lot and lighting. And uh, it is a one woman show. Of course, we've got lots of uh, voiceovers from various different actors, uh, which is great as well. So that will be playing into it. Um, but yeah, not as much the audience asking questions, but they will be very heavily involved in the yes, piece. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was, I was, the reason I asked that was because I was just thinking that could just devolve into chaos with 40 different people, given the opportunity to ask <laughs> questions and it becomes a, it becomes a panel session if essentially, which is not what it is you're driving at. So Ella, you're directing this one woman show that has been written by uh, Helena. I'll, Helena, I'll come back to you uh, with a number of questions because I've got time. The press release was very interesting. I want to come back and ask a number of questions. Uh, but uh, Ella, how did you get involved in the project? Um, it was actually a, a call out online that, um, that I saw and I approached Helena. So I, I didn't really know anybody involved in, in the process. And we had a really great call about what the script was about um she sent me the script and um I actually I have also been in a really similar relationship it was very uh toxic emotionally abusive um uh, which I've also you know dealt with it through therapy and I'm in a strong place to be able to take that and use that and be like we can make a powerful piece with yeah, this definitely. so I think the both of us as soon as we started talking and, and compared our experiences, we got on from the get-go and had a really clear vision of sort of how we can make this work, how we entice the audience in without sort of, um, uh, you know, it being too heavy or anything like that. So, yeah, we just had very similar mindset from the get-go. And, um, yeah, that, that, that's how I got involved. Really. <laughs> Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we are with the director, the writer, the producer, and the actress of the stage show, uh, Auto and Grain, uh, which is a one-woman story. Uh, it is going to be playing at the Bread and Roses Theatre at the Clapham Fringe Festival uh, this Sunday, the 26th, and Monday, the 27th, uh, at 9 p.m. 
So if you're if, if, if theater, if live theater is your jam, especially now with COVID being, you know, the lockdown kind of being relaxed a little bit, definitely go out and support your, your uh, local theater establishment. Go and watch this play. Uh, and I want to ask uh, Helena because you 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 wrote this uh, script, uh, this this play based on your own experience. What is the relevance of the of the name, the title of the play, Auto Ingrained? What's the relevance there? Okay, so when I've obviously like with anyone that experiences these kind of toxic situations, if you do and are lucky to go through therapy, you start to ask yourself questions because the room has been opened and you start to analyze and understand why and how you got into these situations. So when I was going through that process, I came across this idea that in order for someone to trap you in a sense into this toxic sort of circle, because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in essence, you they essentially input the way they think about you, um, you know, any ideas and remove you from your friends and family to do that through sort of ingraining an idea into your head. So obviously over time that becomes developed and developed to the point whereby it becomes automatic. So you just think you're a terrible person all the time, even though that's not true because that's been ingrained into your head by them. So everything becomes robotic. And that was the sort of process in the sense I wanted to get across because people don't talk about the red flags and toxic and how you feel from that perspective and what actually happens from a a psychological point of view. Uh, yeah, and that makes sense. As you you mentioned the word ingrained a couple of times, and then obviously with the title being auto ingrained, sort of if if as what you just said, essentially it's uh, I guess that whole idea of gaslighting as well, when those kind of toxic relationships, the the most effective toxic relationships are the ones where you begin to feel that you are less worthy. So it's actually the, the seed has been planted, and then you take it and you run with it, there's not that much work done from the other person's point of view. And so you take it and run with it. Now, uh, Ella, you mentioned that you have pretty much been through the same sort of situation. uh, And that's kind of what drew you to to this this theater piece. Uh, As the director, as normally in other projects, not majority of projects, what tends to happen is a director might be stepping in either to their own work or in this case, if you're directing someone else's work, you are mainly directing the work of the writer and you're hired by a separate producer and you're working with a separate actress or actor. In this case, you have basically the writer and the actress and the producer. So essentially your boss and your subordinate being the same person. How does that dynamic work for you as a director? Yeah, wow. <laughs> been interesting you can say you can say whatever you want to say even though she's sitting right <laughs> next to yeah. yeah. um no i mean it, it's been great the process has been great it has um yeah it does become challenging sometimes when um i guess helena's got such a, a huge job and it's i think the producer brain compared to the actor brain are very different it's like left brain and right brain sort yeah. of um so I would say the main challenges we've had with with that dynamic is you know coming into rehearsal chatting a few product production things and logistical things and then you know getting into that uh, into that rehearsal space it can be very easy to to go sort of into production talk and then um no let's bring it back to <laughs> let's bring it back to rehearsals where we are yeah. um and I yeah I guess I've 
been more worried and making sure that you know she's been okay handling it all and like taking on so much especially with this run-up to the show um like I said we're we're making the show very um theater-like if if you like we're using a lot of props and um and lighting there's a lot of logistics and things like that which Helena's having to um source and make sure we get obviously I'm helping as well um but there's a lot of logistical things that we have to get right running up to it but as a director I'm also like I really want to focus um on yeah on the acting making sure we're absolutely nailing lines. the performance lines all of this yeah um but uh, on a whole it's been really great because uh, we work well together we're, we're very efficient we use our time efficiently in rehearsals yeah. so we'll set a time aside to do our uh production chat and then um into rehearsals and whatnot I'm glad you've moved to find that dynamic that works for the both of you in that situation, because obviously it's a very emotional play. It's a very emotional project for the both of you, yeah, semi-autobiographical for both of you, if you will. And it's good that you can find a, sort of a level that you can both work, that you're both comfortable and you can perform uh, to the best of your ability. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And Helen, I know that you're basing this on your past experience, but how hard has it been facing some of your ghosts of the past day after day during rehearsals? It's interesting because so I started writing this piece in 2019. And so obviously two years later. And I think the best way to kind of deal with it is talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about those situations because you don't know how many people are going through similar situations to you, but in terms of the script, I'll be honest, there are points which are still slightly difficult. There's a scene in the middle that we kind of left last because it was quite hard to deal with because it is essentially quite degrading. And trying to process that as an actor playing a character, because we've had to create, so originally we didn't have a character in place. And then we decided, for safety reasons, a character was really important so that it could be separate sort of entity for that. Um, but Ella's really supportive and we do this thing, which is quite funny actually, where she says, do you want to do rubber chicken? <laughs> which is a technique that's kind of like a bit of fun. So you just have a bit of shake off. And when she knows that I'm getting a bit stressed, for example, or I am struggling with a little section, she goes, do you, do you want to come out of it and do this? And it just makes everything so much better. Yeah, the rehearsal process is is very much um, it, in those moments. It's sort of about taking, uh, making sure we take the time. Yeah. Also, uh, warming up and making sure we're in our bodies and in the room, and coming out of it as well, and making sure there's a bit of a you know wind down after any of those. We check in a lot with each other, which is good. Yeah, it's it's just it, it's a it's a hard one to to direct, especially semi autobiographical. But again, like we said, we separated sort of the character from Helena's uh, experiences to mm -hmm. sort of disconnect that a little bit and be in another world. And as well as sort of added some bits into the script that are a little more fictional. You'd also have done that anyway. Uh, so there's some fiction that, bring, that, that sort of brings it all together, which um, it, again, doesn't feel as raw and no. as though we're actually, you know, you're actually standing it. on stage, yeah, in therapy. So that's how, we, yeah, we've dealt with it. And that was a, a very good point that you mentioned with regards to how you deal, how you dealt with that, because uh, again, it kind of a, the question popping up in my head is, uh, Elena, you're the actress, producer, and 
uh, the writer of the piece yeah. and you're basing it on on your own traumatic experience. So it's sort of, how do you manage to disengage? And I guess you've just given the example where you have the faith you have in Ella, who basically she can see that you are maybe struggling at certain points. Mm -hmm. And then she gives you your out with the rubber chicken opportunity to step out. <laughs> and at that point, you can then decide to become, to, to switch on, to, the, to switch the yeah. producer hat back on and so on. Um, because you wouldn't want to take your character hat uh, and then go and deal with production issues because right. that will be problematic. So, uh, yeah, and your show, Auto Ingrained, is at the Bread and Roses Theatre Clapham Fringe Festival on the 26th of September and the 27th of September. Prices £12 for adults and £8 for concessions. Now, uh, before we wrap up, I want to ask a question about We Are Bostress. So We Are Bostress is, you know, I, rather me saying what it is, please, one of you tell us what is We Are Bostress? It's our theatre company, which has emerged because of the play. So we started it off, well, I started it off, and um, essentially it is a platform where you can talk about difficult subjects and use theatre to talk about that. But also the idea we want to do is instead of just talking about it, we're empowering the audience through giving it a platform. Eventually, we do want to start doing workshops to raise awareness and getting more people involved as well in that conversation. I think, yeah, we're like we're going to apply to sort of do facilitations, either universities and whatnot on these topics and sort of using theatre um, in, in workshops and whatnot to uh, Discuss or discuss those or understand how we can use art to, you know, create social change, um, and and taking in that sort of direction. So while we hope to continue, um, well, taking this play on and, and develop it further, uh, any other plays that um that we that, that come to us or that we write, but also very much on the social social change thing as well. Um, in yeah, going in and using our skills to hopefully empower. Yeah, younger people, people coming out into the world. Bring them into adulthood. Yeah, yeah, definitely, totally. And that's good because that can answer the question I was going to ask, which was where do you see this project going after you're done with it? Because obviously having two nights, if people can't make that uh, those two nights to go and see it, would they have any other opportunities to be able to see it? So do you have any plans on developing it even further, maybe turning it into, for example, a, a short film or even a feature film with more characters other than yourself? Um, so I actually have been approached um, by friends saying you should turn this into um, something full screen, which is, I say, like later on in the process. But at the moment, we've just applied for the vaults festival which is a great platform for like new writing theatre and the aim is to take it to universities like Ella was saying as well do facilitation and showcase it to students and get them developing their own devised work through difficult subjects but in a safe environment and then one of the end goals is Edinburgh Fringe next year it's a big thing that we really want to do and also I, I personally would like to get the play developed a bit further like think about ways we can actually bring it more to scale and maybe get it published would be great. Yeah, that would be amazing. We, we spoke as well about, you know, expanding the play a bit more, bringing in different actors, yeah. maybe having, having it played by, uh, you know, a bunch of different actors through different bits. We're not exactly sure um, how that would work yet, but we've you know, talked about these ideas a little bit. 
I think it would actually work really well for the screen as well. I think um, so. I think it, it's a little bit um, flea baggy kind of vibe. Um, maybe not as uh, as much of a masterpiece because that is just one of the the most incredible things I've ever watched. I love Fleabag so much. Um, but but again, in that sense, you know, it was a one woman show and it was at Fringe, and um, that got turned into a TV series. It just shows you where things can go. Definitely, absolutely. But- I'm, I, I love Phoebe Waller Bridge. Uh, Fleabag was just fantastic. Um, yeah. There are a number of other shows uh, that have pretty much. Uh, you know, they they graduated. Well, the one of the first sprung to mind was my big fat Greek wedding, which is um, uh, which <laughs> is over in America. That started off as a one woman show, and then Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's wife, but a producer in her own right, picked it up, and then it became the massive uh, movie that it was. So um, again, it's a different subject, uh, subject uh, you know, or a different genre. But we hope and we wish the best for auto ingrained for more for loads of people to go and check it out at the uh, at the Bread and Rose uh, Theatre at Clapham Fringe Festival. Producer Dave, you were going to say some stuff about uh, the uh, about the theatre or the festival. Well, the, um, the Bread and Roses is a really nice venue. I've been there before. It's actually a pub. It's a, the venue is actually above the Bread and Roses pub, which has got a very very interesting history. But if you want to get down to it, it's in Clapham Manor Street. And the nearest travel uh, locations are Clapham North Tube, if you're going to go by Tube, or Clapham High Street, if you're going to go by train. And the, the show is uh, auto-ingrained. It's on uh, Sunday, the 26th at 9 p.m., as well as Monday, the 27th, also at 9 p.m. at the Bread and Roses Theatre in Clapham Fringe Festival. Can uh, I just say, well, yes, sorry, please. there is an amazing group of artists and producers and writers and actors that are also involved in the festival and I want to do a shout out to them because some of the work we went to a mixer and some of the work was just sounds amazing when does the festival start Wednesday night starts on Wednesday and you're going to be there on Sunday October the 9th or 10th yeah October 10th I think double check yeah, I, I I miss I miss live theater. Live theater is just being. I mean, I I love film. Film was basically what drew me into the whole acting process and the writing process and whatnot. But theater just has such electricity to it. Uh, Helena and Ella, thank you very much for coming on the show to talk about your one woman show, Auto Ingrained. We wish you all the best. Uh, when you when you finish the run and you want to come back on the show to tell us how it went and what more is happening, you are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. And that was our spotlight with the uh, producer, writer, director, actress, um, I'm merging them all into one, but it's Helena Collins O'Connor and Ella Faye Donnelly who are producing Auto and Grain at the Bread and Roses Theatre this Sunday the 26th and Monday the 27th, both at 9pm. Go check it out. Give them our best uh, from Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm producer Dave. And we're going we're gonna to use this last bit of the show, uh, first of all, to grill Laura Sampson to find out what she's been doing over the last 12 months. And then we're going to talk about uh, a film and TV show that we have really watched. Each each of us will give a film and TV show that we've watched within the last 12 months because we're catching up with Laura Sampson. And we'll start off with her. She'll tell us what she's been doing in the last 12 months, 
at months and then tell us a film and a television show that she's watched so that we can kick that bit off. So Laura, explain yourself, woman. What have you been doing for the last 12 months? Okay, where do I start? For the last 12 months, I have been making shows, studying Japanese and learning how to teach 10-year-olds coding through telling stories. So I suppose I should break that down a little bit. So this time last year, I started a master's degree in Japanese studies. I am a massive Japanophile and I'm completely into old Japanese theatre, old Japanese literature, mythology, fairy tales, folk tales, all of that kind of stuff. And also newer TV, film, anime, all of that kind of stuff. And whenever we get to talk about East Asian stuff on this show, I seem to know a tiny bit more than the nothing I normally know. That's because I'm a massive fan of Japan. And so I decided to go back to university and study some more different aspects of Japanese culture and um, Japanese society, Japanese history, and also language. So I spent quite a lot of energy doing that. And during that course, which um, was at SOAS in London, I watched some actually really great movies, none of which turned out to be Japanese because it was on a, a slightly different kind of general cultural studies course. But I came across uh, the really famous German filmmaker Fassbinder for the first time. And I watched a brilliant film called Fear Eats the Soul about a Moroccan guest worker in early 1970s Germany who's come over and has a, quite a difficult relationship with a German woman and the, the sort of ups and downs and the ins and out of that, outs of that relationship and how it's viewed by other people in the area where they live is the story but that doesn't do the story justice, just go and watch it. Um, so I could say lots and lots more about studying, but I'll move on to storytelling. You might remember that back in 2018, I decided that even though I was quite a shy person who wasn't particularly good at speaking to people in public, I wanted to be a performance storyteller. And so I've been carrying on with that and it's been going quite well. I've got some regular audiences of uh, little kids who I can tell fun stories to while playing ukuleles and drums. I spent quite a lot of August dressed up as either a pirate or a bee. Um, but one of the most fun things that I've done with kids is to collaborate with a brilliant STEAM. Uh, that's uh, science, technology, uh, engineering, art and music all around learning education company um, on creating these uh, computer coding courses which are taught through um, getting kids to create their own video games based on a story that I've told them and that's been super fun uh I also that, wrote. That's honestly fantastic. It's, it's it's whenever I hear you talk about the, the sort of the work that you do, you're out there, you're doing the arts work, and I just think, I honestly, it, you're doing 
great work out there because you're just you're going out there you're, you're being as passionate as an artistic you're creating work that i want to be creating as well but i think um I, i'm gonna give i'm gonna give your sons free tickets to our next coding course because i think they would enjoy it they get to make up their own story they get to make up their own video game and um if any bits are quite difficult there's someone who can help them do it so by the end of like a two-day half-term thing they come out with their own game and you know it's sort of based on what I've told them but they can just go off and let their imaginations run riot um using some of the tools that we've given them so it's super fun I will send all the information the company's called Conductive Music and we will be I'll be telling the story of uh, the Inch High Samurai. It's the Japanese version of Tom Thumb, basically quite an old adventure fairy tale. But that's, yeah, that's in a couple of weeks. I also wrote a show, like a one-person show for adults, which I performed last year's Bloomsbury Festival back last November, last October, something like that. And I've just been accepted by the Vaults Festival to, um, well... I don't know. I I kind of hope I've been accepted. I'm in the process of being accepted to um, to perform another show, which I have not yet written, which will encompass some of my grandparents' experience of being Trinidadians newly in London in the UK back in the late 50s. So, yeah, there's more, but I think I'll stop there. What we're going to do, what we're going to do, <laughs> we're going to get you to tape one of your shows and we're going to play and we'll dedicate the entire episode. It won't be me talking, it won't be producer Dave talking. It'll literally be Shoot the Breeze presents Laura Sampson. And it's just going to be you doing your show on our, on, on our time slot. I've got some of them are on video already. I'll send you a link and then anyone can see it, whoever wants to see it. Pish posh to your modesty. We're going to hear you do your show. So, Laura, thank you very much for uh, recapping on what you've been doing for the last 12 months. Like I said, we're going to do an episode where we get you to record one of your stories uh, with us on, in the studio so we can no. broadcast to everybody. Yes, yes, it's going to happen. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm Laura Sampson. And I'm producer Dave. And what we're going to do now is we're going to go around the room. Laura Sampson is going to tell us her favorite film and television show that she has watched in the last 12 months. Then producer Dave will do his and then I'll do mine. And then we'll wrap up the show and say goodbye and thank you to everybody. So Laura Sampson, what are your favorite TV show and film that you've seen in the last 12 months? I slightly feel like apologizing when I'm talking about my favorite TV and film because they're just so generic. No, but my favourite film, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why, because it was completely amazing, was uh, Summer of Soul. I saw it about a month ago, and there were some songs that I had no idea existed because I didn't live in the 70s. And it was just wonderful seeing people now looking back at themselves as the artists in the concerts then just getting loads of joy from what they had done as well as all, all of the audience in the cinema getting the joy as well so 
yeah, that's my film. I've seen lots of other films. That's the one. And my TV show, the thing I binged in the shortest time since January 2021 was Midnight Diner, five series uh, Japanese TV show, extremely famous, basically about comfort food, late night comfort food eaten by lots of very strange and wonderful people in the middle of Tokyo. It reminded me that I would usually be in Tokyo around about this time of year. It reminded me that I would be, that I had been there and had that kind of food. And it was really good TV as well, particularly after the first two series, there were five series, but then after the first two series, Netflix kind of bought it and put loads of money into it. That meant that it was easier to watch as a kind of Netflix binge fest type of thing. Before that, it looked a bit like a rom, a, not rom-com, sitcom. See, I, I have I have heard of Midnight Diner. I just, I, it's, I've not had the opportunity yet to watch it. So yeah, I told you about that. Yes, yes, exactly. So based on both of your recommendations, I'm going <clears> to <throat> carve out some time and I'm going to, I haven't dedicated much to, of my time recently to East Asian cinema. I need to return back to that. And you see, it's because Laura Sampson has not been in my life long and, you know, recently to be able to prompt me to go and watch those movies. So now that she's back, I'm going to respect that and I'm going to go and check out Midnight Diner. If David Campbell, the- let's jump to you so you can tell us your favorite film and television of the last 12 months. Okay, I've got this list in front of me. I mean, there's the Five Bloods, Dolomite is my name, Nobody, which I really like, Tomorrow War. Um, but I settled on a film that we talked about extensively and, and especially when it went to the Oscars because uh, I, I disagreed with what they, what they, the, the nominations. It's Judas and the Black Messiah. That was, that was the film that really resonated with me and based on true story, um, we had lots of discussion about that. I mean, not only did we talk about it at the time it came out, but we talked about it several weeks later at the Oscars as well. So um, I'm not gonna take up more time talking about it again, but that was the film that really, really stuck in my mind. Um, with regards the TV series, I mean, there've been many, I mean, I've just started watching Lovecraft Country because I've just managed to get hold of um, a copy to, to watch. Um, yeah, that is that is good, but I've only seen one episode. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, yeah, that's another good uh, series. But the one that, um, really got to me again um, when I watched it again was Chernobyl. The first time I watched it, I I watched all the episodes. It was one of the few programs that I actually binge watched. Um, And then after watching three episodes in one night, I had to stop and then take it easy. And when I watched it, at the end of all the episodes, the end of the series, I just felt a sense of rage. And when I went back to it uh, like a few months ago, um, the sense of rage was still there. I, I was so appalled at the way things happened, the, the arrogance, the, the incompetence, and oh, I, I was just so disgusted. The only thing that came out of it that you could say was good 
was the fall of the USSR, but was it good? You don't know. So those are the two, Judas and the Black Messiah and Chernobyl. I see. Now you mentioned in you mentioned uh, 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 Judas and the Black Messiah, and that it, it twenty twenty has been a mind mess up for me because it's hard to believe that it's been twelve months. It feels like it's been much longer. It feels like I haven't. I saw uh, Judas and the Black Messiah before twenty twenty. That's why I didn't consider it in my list. But I'm thinking of rejigging my list now because of that. Uh, but you know what? You've already mentioned it. You've already given props. Uh, I th- it's a great movie. Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya knock it out of the park uh, with their performances. But I won't mention that one. I haven't really been watching much movies or many movies in the last tw- uh, 12 months, mainly because, again, the pandemic. But I'll, I'll mention uh, The Suicide Squad. And the reason why I'll put The Suicide Squad as my favorite in the last 12 months, one of the reasons is because it's one of the more recent films I've seen that has stuck with me but also because it pretty much did two things. It entertained me immensely. And secondly, it erased the disappointment of what, uh, of what the original Suicide Squad, what David Ayer's Suicide Squad was to me. Uh, we oh had, my gosh, you were disappointed by that? I, have, I was disappointed. I, I can't remember anything about that. <laughs> good thing, good thing as well. Laura Sampson, when you get Amnesia. the chance, you need to go and see, you need to go and see uh, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Idris Elba, um, Ro- Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman, they just, they really just crush. They do a fantastic job in The Suicide Squad. So that's what I'll put as my favorite in the last 12 months. TV show, on the other hand, that I've been binging loads like crazy. Honorable mentions, Fort Salem, just recently in the last two days, binged 10 episodes of season two. Blue Bloods, I'm hooked on it. And then you have others as well that, that I, I've just been binge watching and trying to catch up on. But the one that I would say is my favorite in the last 12 months is Ted Lasso. If you don't know what Ted Lasso is, it's it's uh, an Apple TV uh, show. So if you have Apple TV, you can watch it. It stars Jason Sudeikis. He stars as a an American football coach that's specific uh, who is brought to the UK to coach a Richmond FC football team. I'd say a football team, but it's a soccer team for those who are in America is brought over to coach a soccer team. Now I avoided it for a long time because I, there, there was a, a simultaneously around the same time Ted Lasso came out. There was another one that came out with Will Arnett uh, and that was on terrestrial TV. And I caught an episode of the Will Arnett one. And I thought that was okay, but it wasn't that great. And so I kind of t- uh, painted the two with the same brush. And then I started hearing people say, oh, Ted Lasso is really is low key, really good, low key, really good. So I figured, you know what? Let me check it out. As season two is just about to start. Let me go and binge watch season one and see what all the fuss is about. Each episode is 25 minutes of pure sweet cake heaven. The hype behind the show is legit it is funny heartfelt gut punching there's there's such gut gut punching pathos definitely get your chance go and see it jason sudeikis everybody involved in that project fantastic job you've been listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i want to thank everybody who has stayed around to listen to us ramble especially me ramble non-stop and welcoming back the ever 
magnificent Laura Sampson. Thank you yeah. very much for coming back and joining us. So Laura, nice. you'll, you need to be here more often uh, and telling us more about your stuff. And definitely we're going to get you telling us your stories uh, as well. So thank you all very much for listening. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I've been Laura Sampson. And I've been producer Dave. Saying thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Are we going to see you next week, Laura? I think you'll see me next week. You know, once I once you start getting me talking, I just can't stop rambling. And you know, you've got to uninvite me after you've once invited me back. Sorry, guys. Bye. We're going to hear a lot more.